Welcome everybody to the 10th episode of Isaiah 5812. My name is Harold Weikert and I am your host. Just to remind you about Isaiah 5812, it reads, Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. Now, the purpose for this program is to repair the breach of disinformation or wrong perceptions, and we're seeking the the truth. Now, I'm not saying that I have all the truth, but I'm on that journey, and I'm inviting you to go with me to seek out the truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his and our Father, the Lord God Almighty. And um, I haven't done a podcast in a while. I've been busy taking care of my lovely wife. Um, She had uh, a bit of a problem, and she had an operation. Uh, She had an obstruction, which we came to find out after the operation that it was life-threatening. And um, you had about 24 hours to get it taken care of. And, and uh, praise God, we unknowingly got her there, but God had his hand on it. She's well on recovery, and she's doing fine. So, uh, But we do continue to ask for prayers, okay? Um, I keep going through a lot of my my library. And I keep uh, tripping over all these things that I have come across or I have done or, or read, uh, 30 years ago. And they are so powerful. It's so much truth in, in this material that I'm, I'm going to continue to, to share it with you. Um, even though it may be old, so to speak, for a lot of you out there, you may have never heard it before, and it's really true meat. It's not milk. Um, so I, I'm going to I'm going to be continuing to share these things with you. Now today I'm going to share with you what's entitled "Be Seek Ye First," and it comes out of Matthew six thirty three. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. When I read the Bible, I've come to understand that I need to read it as though I'm an investigative reporter. I need to pretend that I'm an NCIS agent searching for the clues to find the truth. In doing an investigation, we must ask questions such as who, what, when and where. Now, I have in the past, as I fear so many Christians do, I read the Bible without asking any questions and without trying to understand the meaning behind the words. In the 1500s, there was this dispute between a gentleman, I hope I pronounce his name correctly, Desiderius Erasmus. Now, the Erasmus, I I know that between he and Martin Luther. 
Now, Erasmus was born in October 27, 1469, and died in July 12, 1536. Erasmus was a Catholic theologian and contended that common people, such as you and I, could not understand the Bible. But Martin Luther contended that the Bible, the Spirit-inspired, infallibly written Word of God, is understandable by all people. The only problem is that we have trouble understanding grammar. Now, when I read the Bible, I have a text that jumps out at me. I now ask those questions of who, what, when, where, and how. So it is with a scripture found in Matthew 6.33. When I saw, when I really saw, you know how you can see things, but you don't really see them? Well, when I really saw this scripture, I realized that it had two components to it. (laughs) The first part is to seek first his kingdom. Now, in the past, when I would quote this passage, I would say, seek ye first the kingdom of God. But you know what? That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, in my quoting this scripture, I made several mistakes. The first was, I left out his righteousness, which is extremely important. And I also said the kingdom of God, which scripture doesn't say. The second component in this scripture says, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, if we look at scripture and those scriptures that are leading up to this verse, we are being told not to worry. We're not to worry about what we eat or what we drink or the clothes that we wear or where we live, the car we drive, or anything that is of this world, of our physical and material needs. We're not to worry about it. Now, a question, that sounds a little strange, you know, because we need all these things to live. Well, remember what the verse is. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The second component of this scripture says, and I'm going to repeat it again, And all these things will be given to you as well. Now, if we look at the scriptures that are leading up to the, okay, I'm repeating myself. I lost my place here. One of the problems that that we see in the church today is that we have a tendency to focus on the second part of that scripture, which says all these things will be added unto you. We focus on the benefits of being a citizen of the kingdom rather than on being a citizen and the king himself and his righteousness. Someplace along the line, we have forgotten to look and to learn and understand what is the kingdom of God. Well, 
Let's take a look at what Scripture really says. The Scripture says to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Do this first. As I'm looking towards God, seeking his righteousness and seeking to know him and his character and who he is, I'm being drawn ever more deeper into a relationship with him. As I continue to focus on God, he is constantly revealing more of his character to me, and I become overwhelmed by his power, his glory, and his love. I begin to hunger for his presence, feeding on his love, his grace, and his mercy. And as I grow closer to him, and as his character impacts me through the power of the Holy Spirit, I automatically begin to reflect him in my life. Now, once that begins to happen, that is where all these things will be added unto me. As I have my focus directed on God, I have no concern about all these things. But as I grow in my relationship with God, I turn around, and there are all these things which have been added unto me. And are not they beautiful? Now, I'm not just saying that, folks. That has been my life. So now... Now that we understand that we need not worry about all these things being added unto us, we are left with one question. What is the kingdom? One day I was walking through Books a Million, just looking around, and I saw on a clearance table a book authored by Miles Monroe. I don't know if you, any of you have ever heard of him, but he was a pastor from the Bahamas, and I heard him speak in Fayetteville, North Carolina, several years ago. The title of the book was God's Big Idea, Reclaiming God's Original Purpose for Your Life, and at the top of the, of the book it said, The Kingdom Book. It was marked down quite a bit, so I bought it, and to be honest with you, it's one of the best purchases I've ever made. In this book, Pastor Monroe gives a remarkably interesting perspective on the kingdom. He says, and I quote, The kingdom of heaven is a sovereign relationship of the king, God, over a territory, earth, impacting it with his will, purpose, and intent producing a citizenry of people, or ecclesia, the church, who expresses a culture reflecting the nature and lifestyle of the king. Now, he goes on to make an important point in that he says sometimes Jesus referred to the kingdom of heaven and at other times to the kingdom of God. Now, even though it's common to use these phrases interchangeably, there's an important difference in focus in, in this. The phrase kingdom of heaven refers to the literal place, the headquarters for the kingdom of God. 
kingdom of God, on the other hand, refers to the king's influence wherever it extends, but especially its extension into the earthly realm. Now, the kingdom of heaven is so subtle and unassuming in its growth that many people ignore it or dismiss it altogether as completely inconsequential. That is what happens when we fo- excuse me, when we focus so much on the part of that scripture that says, and all these things will be added unto us, that we ignore the kingdom of God and God's big idea, the purpose for which God created. Now, it's very important that we understand and comprehend God's purpose or his intent, because if we don't, we can get very much um, distracted, misunderstood, and we can, it just causes confusion. So one of the things that, that enters into it also is, is religion. And we believe that, that people are tired of religion. They are tired of something that doesn't work and cannot answer the deepest questions and longings of their soul. Whenever religion becomes a foundation of a culture, then changing the culture is very difficult because it's based on a belief system. Religion is man's idea, not God's. And if we do not properly discern the intent, misunderstanding follows. Now, Jesus tells us in at least three places what the kingdom is like. And he uses parables so that we can relate to what he's saying. In Mark chapter 4, 26 through 29, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stock, then the head, then the full kernel of the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, 31 and 32, the kingdom is like a mustard seed which the man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. You will see in these two parables that God uses man to plant deceit. And in the first parable, the seed grew while the man slept day and night, and he had to do nothing more than to plant the seed as he did in the second parable. Now, the third parable that Jesus used is Matthew chapter 13, 33. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. 
I'm going to read from Pastor Monroe's book and his explanation of this parable, and I'm quoting now. Quote, Anyone who spends any amount of time in the kitchen knows what yeast is and what it does. Knowing how it does what it does is another matter. Yeast is one of the most powerful influencing agents in the world, and it exists for one reason, to infect whatever it is mixed into with its presence and influence. Jesus' comparison of the kingdom of heaven to yeast makes us think right away about impact. While people caught up in religions think about leaving the earth, kingdom citizens focus on transforming it the way yeast transforms a batch of dough. Yeast is not about giving up or giving in. It is about taking over. Yeast does not abandon dough. It affects it. Yeast never becomes dough. Instead, dough becomes yeast. Dough is weaker than yeast. And as the yeast works its way through the dough, it gradually and irresistibly takes on the characteristics of the yeast. Unquote. According to the scripture, we are called to be the yeast in the world. But unfortunately, we have become so concerned about our society and culture and become friendly with it that we have allowed the dough to overcome us. James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, there's a scripture that is rather plain and, and to the point. I think the church has taken this to the opposite extreme. We have become so concerned about being socially and culturally correct that we have forgotten to be godly correct and that we are the yeast, and remember that we are ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. We are the yeast, not the dough. Ken Pretty, a gentleman, had come to our church and shared with us, and he told a story about his wife that I think speaks to this very thing, and it speaks to what we're talking about in the parables that were used by Jesus identifying the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the influence that we are to have in our culture and society. Ken shared about his wife being part of a book club, and it just so happened that she was the only Christian in this group of women, and because she would not do certain things or use certain language, the women would make fun of her and mock her. And it was a difficult situation for his wife. One day, one of the women had someone extremely close to them, had either passed away or come down with a profoundly serious illness. This woman was very distraught, and surprisingly enough, Ken Pretty's wife is the one that she turned to. Ken often uses the term of making our faith available. 
This is what his wife did. And as a member of this club, she was making her faith available. She fulfilled the parable of Jesus by being the yeast in a bowl of flour. She did not become the flour, but she affected the flour. Have you ever as a child taken a flashlight and shined that flashlight, that light into uh, your friend or somebody else's eyes, and you know how it blinded them? Well, that's what he's talking about here, is that we need to make our faith available. And the only way we can do that is by living out our faith and to understand God's intent for us as ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. As I stated in the beginning, we must become an investigator to understand God's original intent. We must not become the dough of religion, but we must be the yeast of the kingdom of God, extending his and its influence throughout the world. Choose this day which you want to be, the yeast or the dough. God bless everybody.